Welcome. Welcome to the weekend. Everybody up. This is Herded Here with Swanee on 740 The Fan. You'll get the insight and latest information on North Dakota State football. From the tailgate lot to the football field, our countdown is on. Here's your host of Heard It Here, Josh Swanson. Good morning, Bison Nation. We got some Bison football this afternoon as your Thundering Herd takes on Valpo. 2.30 at the Fargo Dome. Shows in days like today strike a, a somber chord. Those mystic chords of memory touching the hearth, hearts, and home of every American. Of course, I'm talking about the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks on September 11th, 2001, that occurred 20 years ago today. And as we celebrate and enjoy Bison football, something that brings us all together That unity, that strength of the herd is the bison, and the strength of the bison is the herd. Enjoying the freedoms that we have out at tailgating, enjoying one another. I think back to that day 20 years ago when I was a sophomore at North Dakota State, sitting at Menard Hall as a history major. I was in Western Civilization class and these were the days before everyone had a laptop and before everyone had a cell phone and when the first plane slammed into the north tower of the world trade center at 8:45 eastern 9:45 central time word slowly kind of went around the class that a plane had hit one of the towers And my initial reaction was some dummy flight a small prop plane into it. I had no idea. None of us in that classroom did. Not the professor, not the, you know, 150, 200 students in one of the big auditoriums in Menard. None of us knew that an airliner had been hijacked by terrorists full of Americans and crashed into the World Trade Center. So after that class, I had walked home to the Alamo, which was a house just a little bit south of campus where I lived with my twin brother and one of the Chathams boys from Towner and one of the Wagner boys from Towner and Miles Patrie from Pheasant and Bowden and my cousin Luke. We all had lived there. And they were glued. Well, one, they were awake. And, and for those guys to be awake on a day that they didn't have class, even at that time of the morning, surprised me a little bit. And they were all glued to the TV in the living room. And I'd ask, what's going on? It was, it was odd to have the rest of the roommates all watching TV that time of the morning. And they had asked, hey, hadn't you heard? I said, well, heard what? And they explained how a plane hit the tower. And I said, yeah, I heard a small prop plane hit the tower. And they said, it wasn't a small, small prop plane. It was, a, it was a jet, man. It was a big old jet. And, of course, 18 minutes later, at 9.03 Eastern, 10.03 Central, a plane hit the South Tower. Then half an hour later, another plane hit the Pentagon. 
And within a few minutes of that, a brave group of Americans on United 93 took things into their own hands and took back the plane in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, which crashed to the ground, killing 44 brave souls. And America was under attack. And like many of you, it's one of those moments that you talk about, whether it's your grandparents saying they'll never forget where they were when Kennedy was assassinated, your parents saying they will never forget where they were when maybe the Challenger exploded in 1986. It's one of those rare moments in American history where all of us instantly recall and remember what we were doing and where we were at. So as we watched the news coverage unfold at the Alamo that day, a beautiful Tuesday morning, classes weren't canceled initially at NDSU. I had a class, a a European history class from 1950 on. It was a Cold War class with Professor Anderson. And I remember just this eerie feeling, this, this sadness, this uncertainty, this what happens now. And it was a changed world. The paradigm had changed after September 11th. But as President Bush has commented on one of the many documentaries on it, there was a great one Libby and I watched on uh, National Geographic. I had DVR'd it a couple of years ago, and I always like watching it around September 11th. And it's just an hour-long interview with President Bush. And he talks about how that moment when America became under attack, he was in Florida promoting an educational program. And Andy Card, his chief of staff, notified him of it. And just the uncertainty and Initially, they were going to go back to D.C. on Air Force One, and then they were going to go to Barksdale Air Base in Louisiana. And Secret Service made the decision that they needed to get him to the safest place possible because they didn't know if those four planes, if that was the extent of the attack. And if there were further attacks planned for Washington, D.C. on the Capitol, if they were targeting the president and Air Force One. So they flew him to Offutt Air Base in Omaha. And eventually he'd get back to D.C. But I remember sitting in self-engineering at NDSU. It's, it's the building that's just north of the Bison statue on that roundabout on campus. And I remember sitting in self-engineering and Professor Anderson telling us that if we wanted to leave class, we didn't need to be there. We could go reflect. If we wanted to sit around and, and discuss the unfolding events with each other that we could if we just wanted to sit there in silence in the company of others to have that security, maybe contemplate what we were going through as a nation that we could. So I sat there for a while in South engineering before walking back to the Alamo and those events, you know, you you think back, what did you have for lunch yesterday or a week ago? What did you do at tailgating for the opener? against Albany. I mean, heck, what did you do before the Kansas State game back in 2013? A lot of those things, you don't you don't remember that, even though they're more recent. But the, those memories of being in Menard Hall at NDSU when the planes hit, those, those memories of 
walking through campus that afternoon to South Engineering and sitting in there in Professor Anderson's class, they're still so very vivid. And I don't think I'll ever forget those. 2,977 people died in those attacks, not counting the terrorists, and I won't count the terrorists. 200 and, excuse me, 2,763 of those at the World Trade Center, including 343 firefighters, 23 New York City police officers, 37 Port Authority police officers, another 189 individuals killed at the Pentagon, including the airplane that slammed into the Pentagon and 44 people on United Flight 93. And that evening, when President Bush got back to Washington, D.C., and he was sitting in the Oval Office, again, not knowing if we were still under attack, he said, quote, Terrorist attacks can shake the foundations of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts shatter steel, but they cannot dent the steel of America resolve. And here we are, 20 years later, a fast 20 years, going from a college student back then to uh, being married now for a couple years and having a two-year-old. You look back and think about that unity that I mentioned. And and that was something in the wake of the 9-11 attacks. I think we all felt, regardless of politics or our differences, just that, that unity, I remember watching the World Series that fall. The New York Yankees played the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I remember President Bush strolling out and throwing out the first pitch. You know, you remember him at ground zero talking to all the brave firefighters and police officers who had been working nonstop around the clock for the last four or five days since the 9-11 attacks, telling them that, He heard them, and that America had heard them, and that soon the folks responsible for those attacks would hear them. Now, North Dakota State, back in 2001, making the move up to Division I, scheduled to play Maine on Saturday September 15th, and that was a game a a lot of people were looking forward to, and the game was canceled, understandably so. The NFL, for the first time, I think since Kennedy was assassinated, canceled games, flights were grounded, and it was a different, just a different time, you know, and as you're out... And I say that out of reverence. I say it to strike a somber note because on this 20th anniversary, we'll talk. We're going to have Brian Sean, one of a Bison fan favorite, former TV voice of the Bison. The guy knows more about NDSU than, than most folks. 
around, and I want to get it get his perspective on uh, the opening week and what NDSU is going to look to do over the next few weeks in non-conference play. But on a day like today, I, I think two things are particularly important, which is why I'm talking about you know 9/11 and the September 11th attacks. So on the 20th anniversary, it's important to remember the people who lost their lives in those attacks and in the subsequent years defending America, defending freedom, defending liberty, whether it was here or in Afghanistan or Iraq. And I think we need to take some time today to reflect on that and honor that. And I also think that unity is important because that's what I feel. I felt that last week at Bison Tailgating when I was out there with all of you and even just walking around the Fargo Dome. Those are some of my favorite things about game day, what I love to do. I like walking through campus, and I I just like that energy. There's that oneness when you have thousands of people walking around supporting one thing, so united in a cause. And so happy about it, wearing green and gold. I love walking through campus to get to the Fargo Dome parking lot of tailgating. And I love just walking around tailgating. And I love seeing people celebrating the bison. And I love seeing them so happy and enjoying one another's company. That's one of my favorite parts about game day, particularly as I get older. And then I love just walking the concourse of the Fargo Dome. I'm just watching people and visiting with people, and you see all the green and yellow. And getting back to the stands last week, you know, where we sit, we've sat around the same people for many years now, and seeing them for the first time since before the pandemic and being able to to high-five them and just to say, hey, we got through to the other side, you know. We got through that pandemic. We're fighting, man. We're here. And to be able to do that while celebrating North Dakota State, that that came rushing to my mind at the Fargo Dome last Saturday. Just that unity, that strength of the herd is the bison, and the strength of the bison is the herd. And and watching all the the 9-11 stuff this week and, and reading about it and thinking about it, that same unity of how we all felt after those attacks, that same sort of unity came to mind. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit this morning, and, and we'll have Brian on here for a couple segments, and we'll talk about the games. But I appreciate you guys. appreciate Bison Nation. I think today is a, a day that's particularly important just to take it all in, celebrate being an American, and celebrate being a Bison. When we come back, we'll have Brian Sean, former play-by-play voice, for the Bison, we'll talk about Code Green's strong effort against the Great Danes last week and what North Dakota State needs to do today. They're going to whoop Velpo, but what steps do they need to take to improve, whether it's offensively putting up some touchdowns or taking care of the football? Coming up next on Heard It Here with Swanee. Should be a beautiful afternoon for kickoff at the Fargo Dome as North Dakota State looks to improve to 2-0 on the season against the Valparaiso Beacons, who lost to NAIA Indiana Wesleyan 28-10 last week. That is not a typo or a flub by old Swanee. Valpo lost to an NAIA team, Indiana Wesleyan, 28-10 after a 4-2 season last spring, including a win over San Diego. Heard it here, brought to you by Smith Motors in Wapaton and Walton's Tire Service in Lisbon. Smith Motors, small-town 
Friendly Big Town Deals and Weldon's Tire Service, your local one-stop shop for tires, friendly service, and more in Lisbon, North Dakota. Let's bring on a, a guy who really needs no introduction, a voice you will all recognize, Brian Sean. How you doing, buddy? Hey, it's good to be with you, Swanee. I'm doing well. Good, good to hear it. I wanted to have you on because I always love hearing from you, your insight, your takes on on NDSU, you know, of course, your your history with the program and knowing these coaches and the players and uh, that game last week against Albany you know no surprise Code Green's defense was was absolutely outstanding the offense a little inconsistent at times showed some flashes but then some uh, some penalties some fumbles and uh, other things that they're probably looking to clean up this week but uh, what was your big takeaway let's start with the offensive side of the ledger from uh, last weekend's 28 to 6 win well I just I thought they were they were really good up front and I think everybody was kind of wondering how the, the new offensive, some of the offensive line and, and how that group was going to mesh and some of the guys that were stepping into some different roles along with some of the guys that were returning. And I, I think you saw the experience of what some of those guys, like a Cody Malk and, and some others gained in the spring, Jalen Sundell, another one, and how that probably helped them uh, get ready for this fall despite some of the challenges of being thrown into last spring the way the way things were. But... Um, I, that was the big thing to me. Dominic Ginello looks fantastic. I, I just feel like that kid, uh, his his potential and his growth for where he is now to what he could be is is really something else. And we just don't see a lot of young men that are 18, 19 years old that has his kind of frame and, and his ability to run with his speed and power. And uh, even Kobe Johnson, I thought, again, you know, we didn't see a lot of him last spring with the injury, but I thought he looked really good breaking tackles as well. So ground game looked good. I, I think uh, as... Quincy Patterson is, is he continues to get more snaps. I think he's going to get more and more comfortable. I thought the game plan last week uh, wasn't anything too outrageous. I wouldn't say it was vanilla, but I certainly wouldn't say it was anything too crazy. I think they just want to get him comfortable, quick throws, easy throws, try to get him in the rhythm of the game. I would anticipate the same thing today. And then uh, maybe T-Roll might open it up a little bit next week when they take on Thompson on the road. That's, uh, that could be an interesting matchup. Uh, out east next week. And that's something Coach Ants alluded to during his weekly presser, the fact that you don't want to overload Quincy in the first week and kind of give him more responsibility and put more on his plate week to week. And that's part of the reason, going back to last spring, I've been talking about this non-conference schedule and how it sets up favorably for the Bison with Albany, then Valpo, then, then going on the road to an opponent like Towson of the CAA, then a bye week. So by that time you hit the conference opener at the Alaris against North Dakota, hopefully that offense will be rocking and rolling. But I, I want to talk. I want to talk to you about a bunch of things. We'll get to Quincy, the 12, 12 for sixteen. Anytime a Bison quarterback goes twelve for sixteen for a buck fifteen, here's what it tells me, Brian, that the Rams and that rushing attack that you just mentioned is kicking some butt, and the Bison did just that, running forty three times for two hundred and fifty nine yards. For six yards a pop, and, and and what I want to ask you, you mentioned Dom Ganella and Kobe Johnson. You know the Bison, uh, Hunter Lipke back there. He had that nice jet sweep touchdown. Jalen Bussey being the home run hitter he is. But uh, what were your thoughts on of those carries? Ganella had thirteen, Kobe had eleven, and then it kind of tailed off after that. Were you surprised that uh, those two guys, Dom and Kobe, were the bell cows, or do you think that's going to be a game to game thing where uh, Coach Roll is going to maybe feed the hot hand? I think that's what you're going to see. I don't know if you want to give either one of those guys more than 15 to 18 carries a game. I just, I think trying to keep guys fresh, trying to keep guys healthy over the course of the season 
uh, is important. And I, and I also think it's, it's nice to rotate guys just because you get a nice change of pace with different backs. You know, you keep rotating different guys. I mean, you look from Jalen Bussey, Kobe Johnson, to Dominic Ganella, and then you even throw Pierce in there. You've got four very different type of running backs and, and four guys that do things a little bit differently, can get through a hole a little bit differently, uh, have different change of pace, different type of speed. And that keeps the defense off balance. That you know, there's there's different schemes. Maybe you can do with different guys. You can run multiple guys on at the same time. Uh, you know, as they continue to run Delta and maybe get Delta informed. I mean, you think about that with Patterson and the shotgun. If you got Ganella Johnson and Jalen Bussey back there, I mean, as a defense, how do you account for those four guys in terms of what they could do in the run game? I mean, that that to me is is a is a special group of, of athletes that you have in the back end, and uh, I, I think that's a that's a huge luxury is you hope you can keep those guys fresh and healthy. So they're still running as well now as they're going to be in, in late November and hopefully December and into January, if things progress the way you want. So uh, I, I think that Tyler Rowe will try to spread out the carries and uh, try to keep those guys as fresh as possible throughout, not only the game, but, but throughout the season. I love that you mentioned that Delta and it, it, it reminded me specifically on Lipke's touchdown where they had him lined up in the H back on the right side of the line, then motioned him across and, I think Kobe and maybe Dom were both in there on that snap, and I can't remember if they were in Delta, but I remember looking out there saying, boom, oh boy, that's that's a loaded backfield, and they got Lipke and H-back coming across, and of course you got those tight ends and Babich and Gindorf and Babich already snagged the touchdown, but yeah, that gives, tell the listeners, walk us through, you know, you're in the red zone and you have all those playmakers, and you know, Lipke's just kind of tucked behind there at H-back, you kind of forget about him, then he pops one around the edge for a touchdown, that uh, definitely gives the Bison some options, especially in the red zone and on, on third and short downs as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that guy is, he's a load. He, he's faster than you think he is. He's really tough to tackle. And even if you just give him the ball, he, he's going to be tough to bring down on first contact, Swanee. And that's the thing. There's nothing flashy sometimes about a four-yard gain or whatever it is when you're just kind of falling ahead and forward. But over the course of a game, a guy like that, you just don't want to tackle him anymore when you get in the third or fourth quarter. It's just it's it's not fun to try to you know take down this 245 pound freight train that's just coming at you full speed north and south. As the game wears on, you know as linebackers and safeties crash down, that's just not a fun that's just not a fun thing to do. And I think that's why he is he's going to play an integral part of what they do. And I the other part of it too with him is he's a very underrated underrated pass receiver. I think he's a guy out of the backfield. Uh, if you want to get a screen game going or just try to get off some sort of, uh, you know, quick throw out in the flat to a guy that, that maybe get some blockers out in front of them. Uh, I, I think they can be really dynamic that way as too, with some of the different things they can do with misdirection with all these guys. I mean, really, they, they got a nice mix of skill sets. And Lipke is, is, one, is one dude that's just hard to account for. And beyond that, too, Swanee, he's a hard guy to replicate in practice for opponents. I mean, you you don't see a lot of athletes like him around the country, especially in FCS football. So trying to have someone in a scout team try to play what he does is, is pretty much impossible, and and uh, that that's a huge advantage at North Dakota State on Saturdays. You mentioned that him out of the backfield. That immediately I thought back to that Central Arkansas game. He had that little pass that he turned into a 23-yard touchdown, kind of that Swiss Army knife type of guy. And and you think back to those, you know, Bruce Andersons of the world or, or, or even a John Crockett, DJ McNorton, how NDSU used them in the short pass game. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's something 
you know, as we get closer to conference play, maybe we see it. But for Bison fans, you know, I'm sitting in the stands and people are belly aching about Roll not opening up the playbook. But when you're up two scores with the way the defense was playing, you're not going to pull out something, put it on tape, whether it's Delta or whatever else, and uh, and let someone game plan for it. But I, I think that that's exactly right, that, you know, Lipke is a guy that's a weapon out of the backfield. And maybe we can see some some more of that as we move toward conference play. With Quincy Patterson, though, I, I was impressed with him. You know, the fact that you're starting your first game, there's all this expectations. 12 of 16 is 75% completion where you want your quarterbacks to be in NDSU's offense. He missed on the long one to Christian. There was the, the pass interference on the other. But but what struck me about him, Brian, you see some of these new quarterbacks, they get in there and they have happy feet in the pocket. Their clock is it's not slowed down. It's, it's sped up and rushed, and maybe they're getting rid of the ball sooner than they should because they hear footsteps. And the opposite was true with Quincy. He was very comfortable in the pocket last week against Albany. If, and if anything, on a couple a couple occasions, held on to the ball probably longer than he should have. I would agree with that. And to be honest, I, I wasn't sure if that's what was going to be the situation with him. Like, you know, he, he's such a good athlete that part of me thought, well, maybe when he senses, he can just get out of there and run away from people and, and extend plays with his legs or roll right or roll left. But, you know, he did. He hung in there. And, you know, maybe hung on to it a little bit too long at times. And, again, it's going to take some time for him to probably play as fast as the coaches want him to play. But it's more important for him to see things and just adjust to the speed of the game. And, I, you know, you talked about the importance of, you know, playing well in your base stuff. And I know people say, well, open up the playbook. Well, the most important thing for this group, especially with a new signal caller back there that hasn't played a lot of live snaps with this team, is you got to get everybody comfortable in your base stuff so everybody can play fast out of your base stuff. And that is most important for your quarterback. He needs to be able to read and react as well as possible because you know what it's like. You wait one extra second, one extra beat to get the ball out or, or make a decision, it could end in a turnover or something catastrophic. So, you know, to me, that, that was a nice opening game performance. It was a well-called game. I thought that was the right decision to go about. I think you might see more of that today. And then as the season goes along, I think you're going to see more and more things getting added to the plate. And can he handle that? And if he can, okay, let's add something else to the plate. We don't have to throw it all and, and force feed him and, and try to drown him with a fire hose right now. And, you know, that, that's the beauty of this non-conference schedule, quite frankly. I don't want to say it's soft early, because I thought Albany actually had some pretty good players out there, just not enough of them. Uh, today is a different story. Valpo, is, they're, they're not very good, so I think they're going to be able to, uh, to to work on a lot of different things today and get a lot of backups in the game. But, you know, we're, Towson's still an unknown. You know, Towson's played one game in the last two years. So uh, I do think that, you know, for Quincy, it's, it's just going to be playing fast, playing fast, playing fast. And whatever they call, just run it 100 miles an hour, right or wrong, and just try to get it done. And I think that's the offense's mentality. And it, it, really, it really is, Brian, and, and I think that brings up a, a great point, how you're bringing along a guy like that. It reminds me a lot. I think we forget, you know, you have Trey Lance as quarterback and before him, Easton Stick. But Easton, when he started out as quarterback, you know, the, the full uh, gamut of, of play calling and, and what they asked him to do was a lot different his junior and senior year after he had started for a while than it was when he came in when Carson got hurt and even his sophomore year. And there's that progression where I, th- I think it's spot on when you say your base stuff, you have to be good at your base stuff because if you can't execute on your base stuff, then all that other stuff, you know, whether you're doing some of that delta or maybe the the three, four wides, whatever buys the fans want to see, then you know, it really doesn't matter because if you're not doing your base stuff, you're probably not winning those games against the South Dakota States and the UNIs of the world but when we come back are you good for another uh, segment brian can i keep you on for a few more minutes 
Oh, you bet I can. Awesome. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that code green defense. And the, the front seven was outstanding, the pressure they got on Jeff Undercuffler from Albany. But the, the defensive backs, too, with a couple of interceptions that set up some big buys and scores. Coming up next on Heard It Here with Swanee. Should be a gorgeous day out at the west lots of the Fargo Dome for tailgating as NDSU looks to clean up some things penalty-wise, maybe some more consistency on first down and, and getting out of those second and long situations. We got Brian Sean with us here on Heard It Here with Swanee, and we we're talking about Quincy Patterson in the buys and offense, and I want to switch gears a little bit, Brian, and talk about the code green defense because anytime you can hold any opponent, whether it's a you know, an Albany, a South Dakota state to 22 yards rushing. That's hard to do. I don't care who you're playing. Even Valpo, I expect Valpo will probably have more than 22 yards rushing. But that uh, that front seven from North Dakota State was awfully impressive last weekend. They are, and, you know, and that's going to be the strength that North Dakota State has and the advantage they have over everybody, I really believe, is on the defensive line. They can rotate so many different guys in and out. They're all, they, you know, they can all get upfield. They're all explosive uh, they all play extremely hard. They all bring, bring different skill sets to the table. And that, you know, most teams, especially the FCS one, they just don't have that luxury. You know, they, they got They usually roll with four, maybe six guys, but they, that's about as deep as most teams are comfortable going in a developmental program. And North Dakota State, they can rotate 12, you know, if they really want to. They got that many different guys that they can move around inside and outside. And uh, that just makes it really tough on opposing offensive lines over the course of the game. And I do think the linebackers, you know, over the course of this season, have a chance to get a lot better too. Jasir Cox got his feet wet. You know, we all know what James Kayser can do. Jackson Hankey's been around for a while, and I think they're trying to probably develop a little more depth in that linebacking core, get the corners a, a little more set, get more comfortable. But uh, I think in that second half, you really saw what the team was capable of doing, and that's, uh, you know, that that to me is 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 encouraging because I think corner was maybe a spot you're like, well. You know, how are these guys going to be? You know, they're a little bit inconsistent in the spring and some young guys they were trying to bring in and come along. But, uh, you know, I, I think they, they saw a lot of positive things. And I think just having a regular off season of guys getting in the weight room and having a regular fall install and getting into some sort of rhythm and some sort of thing they really didn't have last spring. I, I think you're seeing that pay, pay dividends already here early part of the season. And even though last spring, of course, didn't go necessarily the way Bison fans wanted with that quarterfinal loss to Sam Houston, I think we saw, you know, whether it's a, a Tony Pierce or a Braden Thomas that, that was able to get the Mostert twins, get a bunch of snaps. I think that paid dividends, that experience from last spring, getting that game action. They, they're veteran players now, and you just saw Mostert all over the place with, uh, you know, one-and-a-half sacks and Braden Thomas with one-and-a-half sacks. And you mentioned depth. One guy... You know, I kept having to look. It seemed like number 51 was in on a lot of plays, Mason Hofstad. He only had two tackles, and I haven't went back and, and watched the replay yet. But another guy that got a lot of snaps and, and then, you know, you, that, that depth too, not just on the defensive line, but you got those safeties like a Dom Jones, Michael Tutsi, and a, uh, Dawson Weber where they're able to play Tutsi in kind of a, a – or a, yeah, a Tutsi at that kind of nickel, maybe a kind of a quasi-linebacker spot. So you got Jones out there who's just a freak athlete and – Dawson Weber had that big interception that set up a touchdown. And in the defensive backfield, you know, I, I'm with you, Brian, going in. It's kind of a question mark after the spring how how they would respond, particularly at that corner position. But, yeah, Talbert had a pick that set up a touchdown. And, and under Cuffler's a duty at like 3,500 yards in 2019, 41 touchdowns in the CAA. And that entire second half, you, you knew they were going to have to sling it 
And I thought the uh, the secondary answered the bell as well last weekend. I did too. And I, you've seen the progression of a guy like Talbert, who, you know, and a lot of with those guys, it's not like they don't have talent or good players. It's just inconsistency. You know, that's, that's been the one thing I think you saw throughout the spring. There'd be a good snap and then maybe a bad snap. And, and whether it was Talbert or Jaden Price, uh, I, I think they both had to go through some things. I, you know, and Cordy Eubanks is a guy, he's going to be a dude, Josh. I mean, just watching him run around out there and, and some of the things he can bring to the table. I mean, he's got a really good skill set. He's long. Uh, he's he's going to be a player uh, for sure. And I think those other guys, as they get more consistent, uh, I think you're going to see them, you know, continue to, to put more pressure on receivers and get more physical receivers. So, uh, yeah, obviously you've you got a huge luxury in the secondary. Michael Tutsi's as good a safety as there is. And, and as you mentioned, you can move that guy around anywhere. He knows the defense inside and out. He's a really good tackler, a hard-nosed, tough player. And he's, he's been out there a ton. And, you know, even a Dawson Weber, the versatility, if you ever do get into trouble at corner, you know, you get a little thin there, that's a kid you can move around. You know, that's been on the program as well. And, and understands multiple positions. So you can never have enough experience on that back end to make sure everybody knows what they're doing. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, there's definitely a lot of encouraging things to take out of that. And, and the most important thing is getting as many guys in this non-conference part of the schedule snapped as you possibly can. Because as you know, it's a grind. And at any point, anybody could go down. And other guys got to be ready to play. And I think that's what this, these first three games are all about before you jump into Valley play in October. And we, we've heard this term for a long time going back to, you know, whether it was even Coach Hager in the 90s, Coach Coach Bowl and, and Coach Kleiman, and, of course, Coach Ance, but complementary football. When you have a defense that's playing that well, you know, as an offense, it, it's, a, it's a luxury of sorts because you don't want to just shut it down and, you know, run, 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 three and out, punt. But at the same time, you get a two-score lead. How many times have we seen that movie? NDSU gets up two scores in the second half, and I, and I was thinking last Saturday – this game's done. There's no way Albany is going to score twice, especially with NDSU pinning them deep inside their own 20-yard line, possession after possession. They're not going 80 yards in two drives. And in fact, the the buys. What we what we saw, you know, I know one of the focus areas going into the this this fall after last spring was the turnover game, and you had three really big turnovers. The two interceptions by Talbert and Weber both set up short fields that led to touchdowns. And then early in the game, Albany's driving. They have some momentum on a fourth and one. Hanky strips it, recovers the fumble, and the buys and go down. And I think they ultimately end up scoring on that drive. So three turnovers sets up three scores for North Dakota State. How big was that for David Braun and his guys to to generate some turnovers in the opener? Yeah, I, I think that's encouraging. I think that's been a point of emphasis, too, along with tackling. I, I think when you talk to Coach Braun and maybe some of the other guys on staff, they don't feel like they tackled very well last spring. And there's a myriad of reasons for that. But even I think if you talk about complementary football too, Josh, I mean, North Dakota State was still 7-3 and three and was a play away from advancing in the playoffs again. And maybe, who knows, had they been able to get Sam Houston, who knows what would have happened. But the team was still, I think, minus 8 or minus 9 in turnover ratio in those 10 games. You know, how many teams could be that, be that have that kind of disparity in turnover margin and still have a winning record? I mean, that just doesn't happen very often. You know, North Dakota State's typically a team that does not beat themselves they win the turnover battle more than they lose it. So if you just take care of the ball and don't turn it over and your defense can force a couple, that's a huge advantage across the board anyway. And as you know, that you look at the turnover, when you start getting down minus one, minus two, and the turnover margin per game, your percentage for winning goes down significantly. And so I think people sometimes forget that, that turnovers were, were an issue for the offense and then not generating for the defense. And if they can get plus, 
you know, where we're expecting plus 10 to plus 12 a turnover margin, then uh, a lot of these games are going to be a lot different than what we saw just because of that. What's so encouraging to me, Brian, is you, you see a quarterback like Undercuffler who's, you know, I think Hero Sports going into the last spring had him as a second-team All-American, and he's it's not like he threw 41 touchdowns in the Patriot League or, or something like that. It's 41 touchdowns in the CAA. And in the second half, we, we saw that pressure from the front seven and that defensive line, him hearing footsteps. And uh, the one, I don't know if he airmailed it, and our safeties were in the right spot, but both Kelbert and, and um, Weber's interceptions, I think, were the product of that defensive front generating a lot of heat on Undercuffler and making him think with that internal clock, like, I got to rush this ball. I got to get it out of my hands because I'm about to get sacked and hit. So I got to get rid of it. And that led to two, two huge interceptions. So I think just the. You know what the front seven was able to do definitely helped the the back end of that Bison secondary. Yeah, and I, and I do believe this year we'll see how it plays out over the course of the season. But I really do think that North Dakota State might be more aggressive when it comes to a lot of those situations where they're going to send extra guys at certain times, maybe more so than they have in the past. You know, not saying they can't get home with four because they can and play coverage, but. You know, I just think the mentality of this group, and, and even talking to David last spring, is they want to be aggressive in attack and, and get after teams and force them into some mistakes. And that's typically when a lot of those mistakes will happen, is when you put pressure on a quarterback, he's got to make a quick decision, and he makes the wrong one, and all of a sudden he throws it the wrong place, and it turns out uh, you know, to be a pick or a fumble or something else happens. So, you know, I, I do like that, that, that approach. Uh, there's a time to sit back and kind of play coverage and, and let things play out, and there's a time to kind of get after a guy. I, I think in that second half, I think the defense recognized we can put pressure on this QB and make him uncomfortable. Uh, he's not going to be as accurate throwing the football, and we're going to be able to maybe force some things that go our way, and that's exactly what happened. Brian Sean from Midcoast Sports joining us here on Heard It Here with Swanee. Let's, let's look at this, this afternoon's game, Brian Valpo. You know, they lost to an NAI team last weekend. This game shouldn't be a contest. One of those, you know, maybe 35, 31, uh, nothing kind of games at halftime. But how do, the, how do the Bison approach? You obviously want to get out of it healthy. But what can we expect to see out of the team this afternoon? And, and what are they going to look to try to do between games one and two as, as they progress in this non-conference slate? Well, I think the, the most important thing today, just play clean, clean up mistakes, get guys more comfortable with the speed. Uh, just run your stuff. You can't worry about who you're necessarily who you're playing. You got to worry about what you can control, and that's just going out and doing your assignment and playing assignment sound. And I think the other thing is you hope you can get some guys, you know, off the field, not playing a ton of snaps, and get some guys that need some reps, and need some game experience out there as soon as possible to get as much experience as possible. Because again, nothing accounts for game speed. And I know you can go through practice and you can play live and you can do all those things, but. Despite who your competition is, some guys just need to get out there and play. And and I think this is a good opportunity for that game uh, to do that. As you mentioned, Valpo's obviously struggling. Uh, so you, you got to do what you can do to just control what you can control and not worry about necessarily who you're lining up against. Because the next week you got to go on the road and you got to take on another CAA opponent uh, that I'm sure is licking their chops. And you know we got we got a team coming in here and, and we're going to be ready to go. And Towson played well in their opening game. We'll be curious how they play today. So, uh, you know, you want to keep your guys sharp and playing well and, and making sure that they're still on top of their game before hitting the road for their first uh, road game out east. And that's, and I'm looking for a fast start. And, and you've been around enough of these games, Brian, to know that uh, how a team practices during 
the week. We hear so much from coaches that we had a, the the performance in the game after a nice win or a great performance. You hear we had a great week of practice. We had a great week of practice, and and the 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 opposite of that. If NDSU struggles or, or or loses a game, we sometimes hear that you know, we had a rough week of practice, and it's coaches and players will tell you that. And I think it's it's it'll be interesting to see with a group like this when you go into a game against Valpo, what we hear afterwards about one how the team practiced, were they focused, were they ready, and then two, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. You want to see guys whether it's a you know Mason Miller or a, a Gray Zabel, a Jake Rock on that offensive line getting a lot of snaps. They're young guys, and they were forced into the fire a little bit, particularly in the latter part of last spring and in the playoffs where they're playing snaps. But that's that's one position, your offense and defense in front. In the Missouri Valley, you get banged up. It's physical football, and you need that depth when you get to the latter stages of the season and going into the playoffs because you look at those guys on the two deep, chances are that one, if not more of them, are going to play be playing big roles because of the wear and tear of the Valley as the season progresses. No question. And a game like this, too, Swanee, as you, it tests the maturity of your football team because – it's not like your guys don't know when they look at the film what who they're going up against. I mean, they recognize the situation, but how do they handle that? How do they go about their business? You know, that's that's what coaches are looking for. Right? You know, are they still dialed in? Are they still ready to go? And I, I think that's you know that's as important as is the mentality is is what you actually go out there and do. Are are you still preparing like you're taking on one of your rivals in November? You know, and, and your preparation, regardless of who you're playing, has to stay the same. Everybody wonders. How does North Dakota State win week after week when everybody they're play, that they're playing against, it's their Super Bowl? How do they get up for that? How do they get up for that? Because they prepare for everybody the same way. You know, and and sometimes I look at it as I, I'll, I'll listen to other teams talk about, well, here's a huge opportunity for our team. We're playing NDSU. This is a big game, blah, blah, blah. You never hear NDSU say, oh, this is a bigger game than the next day, or this is a bigger game, or this is the biggest game. They just prepare the same, and that's why they play the same. And, and sometimes I think programs can learn something from them is no matter who you're playing. And you've seen this with South Dakota State. John Stigelmeyer's changed the way they approach their game against NDSU. Is we, play, we, play, you know, we, we approach them, we prepare for them like we prepare every other week. And that's how I, I think like the, Japs, Jacks took a, the Jacks took a step forward because of that. You know, because they actually got to a point where they started not looking at NDSU as this gargantuan game and just started preparing like a regular game. So, I, you know, that's that to me is what makes North Dakota State a unique program in that regard is, is their kids follow the coach's mentality of saying, worry about you, worry about your assignment. It's another team. Prepare like it's the same team as before and just get out there and get ready to play. And the kids respond. And that's how you win eight national championships in 10 years. If you, if you don't have that 100%. consistent, when we heard it, the the attack, the process, the win the day stuff, you know, whether it was Coach Bull, Coach Kleiman, and now Coach Entz, that, that philosophy that every day is so important and getting better and better and better and doing their job, but that just that, that focus to practice and getting better from week to week to week, if you don't do that, if you're just a program that looks at these big game type of things, you don't win. I mean, winning – one national championship is tough enough to win eight in 10 years. It's an exact byproduct of what you just said, Brian. It, it, it sounds boring, Swanee. You know, for those of us that you're know, like, oh, you know, the Stan Sam just prepare. It's the most important game of the It's the most important game we have because it's the next game, right? And, and we've heard Matt N say that how many times? We heard Chris Kleiman say that, Craig Bowles say that. But at the same time, that is why they're successful. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's one of those things where you, you can't take a week off or just look at it because of your opponent. You can't take things any bit any differently. And that's why I look at this game 
And you might look at some of the other lesser opponents in the Valley and say, this is why you have to prepare for everybody the same. You, you can't just assume, well, it's Indiana State or it's so-and-so or whatever the case may be and think, well, we should just be able to roll. And I think they learned that lesson last spring. Like when they went to SIU and got their teeth kicked in, as hard as that was, I think, to stomach for the coaches, I think that was important for some of the younger players to learn. Yeah, we can't just walk out and play and, and think because we're NDSU that everybody's going to be scared of us. And so that was one of the more valuable lessons, I think, a lot of the young players that were part of this program. They, it was a hard lesson to learn, but I think it was a good lesson for them to learn last spring. And I think you're going to see this team grow and play much better this fall because of that. Hey, amen, brother. You are preaching to the congregation there. Brian, it's always, always great to have you on. You have awesome insight, and we will definitely uh, do this again here uh, numerous times this fall. All right, man. Appreciate you having me on, Swanee, and uh, it's really good to hear from you and talk to you again. Absolutely. You too. Take care, buddy, and we'll be in touch. All right, sounds good. That's Brian Sean Midco Sports giving us the the deep dive and insight. And I love have Brian on Brian on because he has the the institutional knowledge. He's been around this team. He understands how they think, how they go about their business, and you really can't get that insight anywhere else. Coming up on the last segment of the week on Heard It Here, we'll get into some game day predictions. I want to thank Smith Motors and Wapaton, small town friendly, big town deals. Welton's Tire Service, your local one stop. For tires, friendly service, and more in Lisbon, North Dakota. More heard it here with Swanee coming up after the break. We're taking it to the bank as Swanee brings you his lock solid prediction for this week's game. Just <clears throat> don't bet the house on it or anything, okay? Oh my God, are you serious? North Dakota State's offense looking for a big day running. The football against the Beacons, the Valpo Beacons. Name change, formerly known as the Crusaders. I want to thank Josh Linus for running the boards this morning, keeping the trains on the track for us. First, uh, this is the second game that NDSU's ever played against Valpo. Of course, the first one, there's a great story by Jeff Kolpak in the form. He's quoting my twin brother, Brother Swan, who, if you read the article, it looks he was very heavily involved in the game planning with Coach Bull there tipping his hand, old brother Swan. North Dakota State's first Division I game in 2004 was a 52-0 win over Valpo at the Fargo Dome. Kyle Steff as pride of Dickinson and a friend of the Swan ran for 175 yards and four touchdowns. Starting quarterback Tony Staus went 8-17 for a buck 12 and two touchdowns to wide receivers. Two more friends of the Swan, good buddies. Travis White, T. White, and Marcus Johnson. Tight end A.J. Cooper, Cooper Loop. Coop is another friend of the Swan. And, of course, Steve Walker was the guy, the backup QB at the time, threw, threw that uh, touchdown pass to Coop. Steve's a good dude, good buddy. Saw him at the Fargo Dome yesterday. And he used 4-0 all-time against the, the Pioneer League. It'll be, like Brian said, this is a game where North Dakota State wants to work on North Dakota State. You want a sharp week of practice because you don't get to Missouri Valley play and just flip a switch. You don't get to that North Dakota game, to that South Dakota State game, to that UNI game. And as we get closer and closer to the playoffs, it's not like you can just flip a switch and you are some juggernaut football team. It comes getting better day to day at practice and week to week. And that journey continues today against Valpo where we want to see those chains moved on first down. We want to see the Bison running the ball. We want to see some rapport, some chemistry between Quincy and 
Patterson and some of those wide receivers and Christian Watson and Phoenix Sproles and Braylon Henderson and the tight ends, Gindorf and Babich. And we will see it. We will see it early. And we will see it often. And the Bison are going to have a big day. We want to see them sharp. We want to see them get rid of some of those penalties. We want to see some positive movements. And we will see that as the Bison will improve to 2-0. and And I almost hesitate to call a score on this one. It's going to be 35-0 to at the half. The Bison are going to put the brakes on, get... Get a bunch of guy snaps in the second half. Walk away with a 49-7 to win. This is Heard It Here with Swanee. Reminding you, e pluribus unum, out of many one. The strength of the herd is the bison, and the strength of the bison is the herd.